You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Well, hey, I would uh, invite you to open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 6. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning, and so I'd love for you to have the scripture in front of you. Uh, and uh, we're also going to have it up on the screen if you want to follow that way. But our goal each week is to get you into the Word of God that is powerful and valuable. It is the spirit of truth, the sword of truth, and we want you to have that uh, in front of you. Uh, hey, today's, today's message, I'm just going to warn you, is three messages in one. Okay, so uh, you're going to have to give me a little grace this morning, but there's really three messages in one, and it's, it's kind of three parts. Part one, what I want to talk about this morning, is what God has been doing in my life, uh, and so I'm going to give you the 37-year synopsis, uh, kind of the Reader's Digest version. Part two is what I think what God wants to do in our life, in, uh, in your life. Part two is what I think God wants to do in your life, and then part three is what I think what God wants to do in our life together, okay? So I'm going to try to move through that quickly because I know uh, on these Sundays, I'm kind of like the class before lunch. Everybody just wants to get to the food, okay? But uh, I feel like God has something that he wants to say to us this morning, and so would you uh, pray with me, and then we're going to go right to it. Uh, Father, we come before you in the great name of Jesus, and Lord, I just know my, my heart this morning just resounds with that song, Jesus, what we want is you all around us, in us, through us, above us, below us, next to us, Jesus. What we need more than anything is you. And God, we celebrate, and God, we are so thankful that you literally moved heaven and earth to make that happen. God, that we can know you and love you, that we can have a relationship with you, God, that you desire more for us than we desire for ourselves, and God's best for us is always found in you, Jesus. So I pray that we look at your word this morning. I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, that you would give us hearts to love you, God, and that we would be literally empowered and transformed by the Holy Spirit this morning to become more like you and to be encouraged to take step after step following after you, Jesus. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, this is kind of a unique uh, a week. I'm not a super sentimental person, uh, but this week is kind of like an anniversary in the life of our family, and I'm going to get there, but kind of thinking about that had me just kind of thinking about my own walk with Jesus. And so I'm not going to give you like all the details of my life, but I thought maybe I'd share my testimony with you a little. And for those that uh, have heard it before, just listen again like it's the first time. So uh, my life was, was pretty normal uh, growing up. I was a single child uh, until my parents had a daughter, and then I, uh, I got a sister, and uh, we, uh, we, we had a, a great little family. I grew up in Roscoe, not too far from here, and uh, everything was pretty normal, uh, typical family, uh, until I, I turned 10. My, my life kind of changed uh, when I was 10 years old. Uh, my parents had, had kind of told us that we were going to have this big family meeting, and I thought we were going to go to Disney. Like, I thought, I had kind of sensed there had been a lot of private conversations. There had been some phone calls that, that, like, my sister and I were asked to, like, leave that part of the house. And so I thought we were going on vacation. Uh, it turns out, rather, my parents were getting divorced. So that was kind of a letdown. Like, we weren't going on vacation. Uh, my parents were going to split up. And uh, that w- those were really hard years for me. Uh, I was really hurt. I was really confused. I was really frustrated. Uh, I, I kind of had the question, like, if my own father doesn't love me enough to stick around, like, who will? Like, that was kind of a driving 
question in my life. And so at the age of 10, I, I only knew what to do, what I knew to do, and that was to have a lot of fun and get in a lot of trouble and just do whatever I wanted to do. And so, like, I, I just had some, some really rough years. And, like, if I, I can look back, because hindsight's always twenty twenty, like, because I had kind of this hole in my soul, like, I really just wanted people to love me. Like, I really wanted people to accept me. And so, like, I kind of became the class clown. I was the guy that was always up for a good time. I would do just about anything uh, for people's applause and approval in my life. Uh, but, you know, the, the truth is that got really exhausting because, like, you could get the applause and the approval of people, but it doesn't last very long. So, like, uh, working for the, the love and the approval of, of people is really hard work. And so, like, our family had all this stuff going on, and, and over the years, uh, things weren't getting better. Things were getting worse. And so my mom made this huge decision for our family. She decided that we were going to go to church. And I thought that was a horrible idea. Like, I didn't want to sign up for that one. And uh, the first church she took us to was the worst, most horrible church experience I'd ever had in my life. I still have nightmares about it. I drive by that church from time to time and have, like, PTSD. Like, it really shocks me because it was so horrible. The church was so mean. Like, we, it had pews and, and whatever. Like, some churches have pews. But, like, we sat in somebody's pew. And I didn't even know people could, like, own pews in a church. Like, there wasn't a name on the pew. But, like, like an usher literally asked us to move because that was another family's pew. And so, like, I got the message loud and clear. We don't belong here. Like, we were broken. We were hurting. We are, we are a divorced family. Like, my, I, I say it this way, that, like, my, my parents were divorced before divorce was acceptable. Like, I was the only kid in our neighborhood that had a divorced family for a really long time. And then, sadly enough, the, the rest of the neighborhood caught up. But so I, I, like, used to beg and plea my mom, like, please don't take me to church. And she would always tell me this. She was like, I brought you into the world so I can take you out of it. And I think she was serious. I really think there were times my mom was threatening to kill me. And it made me scared enough that I would get in the car to go to church on Sunday morning. Uh, and I've, I've told you this before. I said all the time that I had a drug problem growing up. My problem was that my mom drugged me to church every week. And it was horrible. It was horrible. So my mom made another decision that we were going to go to another church. And I was like, here we go. Like, we're going to sit in somebody's chair. The music is going to be boring. The sermons are going to be boring. Everybody's going to hate us. I'm like, why is my mom going to do this to us? And so then she took us to the next church, and that next church literally changed and saved my life. Uh, I was accepted there before I believed anything. Like, I didn't even know who Jesus really was, and yet people seemed really excited that we were there. Uh, people began to invest in me. Uh, before I had any faith. Like, I literally learned how to tie a tie from a guy in the church in the men's bathroom. Like, I don't know why, but like, I wore a tie to church one time. I don't even like getting dressed up, but I wore a tie. And there was a guy in the church who was like, hey, bro, we got to fix that hot mess. Like, I don't know, I don't know what you did there, but that, and so he taught me how to tie a tie. And I thought, hey, this is awesome because people love me enough to tell me I look like a hot mess and they're like, well, help me fix it. So I learned to tie the double Windsor knot in the bathroom. And it was awesome. Now I just tie them once and don't untie them because I'm still not that good at it. But I was loved. Like, even though I was really rough around the edges, even though I still got in trouble, I'll be, even though I always said the wrong thing and put my foot in my mouth, people loved me. And what I realize now, what I didn't realize then, is that church knew how to play the long game. Like, they had a strong long game. They knew that if they could keep me around long enough, that I would eventually discover 
the beautiful, relentless, unmatchless love of Jesus. And they were right. Because I didn't go to church for Jesus. I went to church because it was fun. I went to church because I had friends there. I went to church because there were cute girls there. Like, that's where I met my wife, Audrey. Like, I, I was in. Like, and the people generally cared about me. Like, the Bible stuff was just like, yeah, this is kind of what we do, but that's not, that was not my motivation for going. And, and they played that long, and we're like, hey, if we can just keep this guy around, eventually he's going to fall in love with Jesus. And they were right. Like, it totally worked. Now, for me, this was my hang-up. I got to a place in about high school I got to a place where I believed that Jesus was real. I even believed that the scriptures were true. Even the weird stuff, I didn't understand. I just kind of believed this is true. And like, I kind of believe in this. But I had a really hard time believing that God would love me as I am unconditionally. Like, that was a huge hang up for me. Like, I, I studied the Bible primarily because I was looking for a loophole. Like, I was looking for the verse that would say, at some point, God might leave me or forsake me if I don't end up hold up my end of the deal. Like, I was looking for that verse. And I would have that conversation with my pastors and with my Bible study leaders and with my Sunday school teachers. And I was just like, I just, I just can't go all in because I just kind of feel like at some point, God might walk out on me. The problem was, is I, I kept looking and looking and looking, and I never found that verse. Like, instead, I found verses like, God loves you, he'll never forsake you or leave you. Like, I found, like, the verses in the Psalms where it talks about there's nowhere that you can go that God is not, not the hypes, not the depths. That, that Paul says, like, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. And I remember being at a place in high school where I just one day felt like, Jesus, I need you. Like, I know what I need is you. And there was a really rough patch in my life, and I just knew, like, what I needed was Jesus. And I remember there became a specific day where I just surrendered. That's the only word I have. I just surrendered. And I said, Jesus, what I need is you. And, like, I don't want a little bit of you. I want all of you. And so I'm going to give you all of me because I want all of you. Like, I really believe that Jesus saved me from my sin, and here's what I knew. I had a lot of sin to be saved from. Like, that wasn't an issue for me. I, I knew that I was a guy who had messed up, was broken, and needed Jesus. And I knew all this head knowledge, but I really, what I, what I wanted was to experience the love of Jesus. I wanted to know that I knew that I knew that Jesus loved me, and I wanted to experience that. And so I went all in, like just on my own, just like, Jesus, I'm yours, you're in control, I, I need you, I love you, you can have all of me. And like as a high school student, I made that decision, just like, hey, Jesus, I'm all in. Like I really believe that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. I really believe that you came, that you died, and that you rose again. And like here's just my thing, it hasn't changed. Like the guy that can predict his death, tell people how it's going to happen and that he's going to come back and does it, like, I'm with that guy. Like, I'm with that guy because, listen, I, I studied all the other religions, and you know what happened to those religious leaders? When they died, they stayed dead. Like, Jesus is unique. Jesus is powerful. Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really is risen, and I wanted him. And so I just knew that to, to have a relationship with Jesus, I just wanted to go all in. I wanted him to have all of me. And I wanted all of 
him. And you know, walking with Jesus has been the greatest adventure of my life. Now listen, there's been different seasons, there's been difficult seasons, there's been ups and downs, there's been mountains and valleys. God has taken me to places that I never thought I would go. He's done things in my life that I never thought would happen. And and like normally, just so like in case you haven't experienced this, following Jesus usually means like your 20-year plan gets thrown out the window. And if you know me well enough, you know I don't have a 20-year window. I have like a 20-minute plan, but that one goes out the window too. And here's just a couple things. There are like these two things that I knew when Jesus got a hold of me. Like I knew, number one, that I was called into ministry. Like I didn't always like that calling, but I knew that he was calling me into ministry. So I was like, Jesus, just send me. And I used to pray these prayers like there's certain places I would rather go and there are certain places I would not go, but I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I knew that part of that ministry was that I was going to dedicate my life to reaching people who are far from God, seeing lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. I just knew that that was what God had created me to do. I just knew that was a calling that he'd place on my life. And quite a few years ago, Audrey and I were married, and we were just talking about life and ministry and what we thought God wanted to do in our lives. And one of the things we both felt really strongly about is we felt like God was calling us to plant a church in Boone County. And, like, that was just something we would talk about, something that we would pray about. It was one of those things where, like, we knew that it was something that God placed in our heart, but we also knew that it wasn't time yet. So it was like this waiting game. Like, God, when do you want us to do this? When do you want us to go? And actually, this weekend, four years ago, I had the most difficult Sunday morning I've ever had in my entire life. Because Audrey and I were serving at a church that we loved, a church that we helped restart. We were serving at a church where everything was going really, really well. Like, listen, I loved the elder board that I got to work with. I loved the people who were on our ministry teams. Like, things were going really, really well. Like, the church had just raised a whole bunch of money to put in a brand new parking lot because we had a, a dirt and gravel parking lot, which was awesome until the spring unless you really liked four-wheeling in the mud. And then you could do that at church. Like, that was a ministry we had. Like, you could bring your truck, get it muddy. And usually, like, the guys on the setup team helped push cars out of the mud. Like, that was like, hey, we'll get you. We'll push you out. So we just raised a bunch of money to put in a a new parking lot, which means you could no longer four-wheel drive in the mud. And, And there was this thing where all of a sudden, in my own heart, God said, now's the time to go. And I remember going, like, Really? Because, like, things are going really well. Like, I, I kind of like what I'm doing here. Like, I kind of like the people that I'm serving with. And, and I began to talk to Audrey, and Audrey's like, oh, yeah, God already communicated that to me. Like, we're supposed, we're supposed to go plant a church. And I was like, and, like Jesus, you, you couldn't have done this, like, at a different time, in a different way. And so, like, we just began to pray. And what happened was is God just confirmed that it was time for us to go. So four years ago today, I stood up at Meadowland Church to a group of people we loved where ministry was going really, really well. We were seeing people get baptized. We were seeing people get saved. We were seeing people grow in their walks with Christ. Like God was doing all kinds of neat stuff with the church. And I got up on a Sunday morning and said, hey, church, I love you. But God's calling me to leave you. And, like, I thought people would be really excited for us, but they weren't. Like, people were kind of mad. Like, people are like, I remember somebody pulled me aside. They're like, okay, so what's going on out there? Like, you must have a building and people, and somebody must be offering you money to go. 
And I was like, Redemption Church is a lot of things, but it's none of those three things. Like, we don't have any money, we don't have any people, and we don't have anywhere to meet. And I remember this guy that I love looked at me, and he's like, then why in the world would you do this? And I said, my only answer is because I believe God called us to it. And I remember telling him, I said, if we don't go, I think it'll be disobedient. Like, I'm just, I'm just so convicted in my core that this is what God has called us to. So four years ago, we began to have that conversation with Meadowland Church, who then affirmed us as church planners, who agreed to send us out. Like, uh, Meadowland Church is the church that gave us the trailer, and, like, almost all the stuff we started with came from Meadowland. Like, they just said, here, take this, take this. Like, I kind of got, like, a free hunting pass. I could walk around and go, can we take that? And they'd be like, yeah, hey, can we take that? Yeah, hey, are we using that? I mean, we just, like, loaded up the trailer, and, like, and then we left town quick because we didn't want them to change their minds. Like, we didn't want them to realize how much stuff we took and they loved us and supported us and, and, send, and sent us out and, and see the reason I tell you that is to get to kind of part two because when we planted Redemption Church we had a really clear idea and a simple vision like we wanted to start a brand new start from scratch church in Boone County that would exist to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples made like it was really simple for us We want to see people who are far from God be rescued by Jesus, brought near to God, and then walk on the journey where they would take step after step following Jesus. In fact, it's been a really wild ride. It's been a really great adventure. In fact, on March 15th, Redemption Church officially turns three years old. So we're going to have a little celebration, and then what we're going to do is this summer we're going to throw a big party. Like this summer we're just going to go all out. We're going to throw a big three-year birthday bash, and we'll, we'll figure that out and have some fun with that. And, like, if you've been around since the beginning, like, you know, like, this journey has been an interesting one. Uh, it's been difficult at times. It's been really great at times. There's been, uh, we've met at different places. We've been through different seasons. We've had all kinds of different things happen, all kinds of ministry opportunities. But there's kind of these three things we're just really committed to. There's these three things that we're really passionate about. It's, number one, reaching people who are far from God. Like, that's what we exist for. We're not a Christian country club. Like, we're not here to give each other high fives and tell each other how awesome we are, although we love you and we think you're awesome. Like, because we want to we exist and be the church where lives are changed by Jesus and, and disciples are made. So, so we don't have a lot of time to tell each other we're awesome. We have a lot of time to say Jesus is awesome and let's become more like him. Like, Jesus is awesome and let's tell as many people as possible that he loves them and that he wants to save them. And see, here, here's that part too. Like, here, here's some stuff that I think God wants to do in your life, even if you don't believe it yet. Here's what I believe about you. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you with a relentless, passionate, unmatchable love. Even if you don't fully grasp that for yourself, even though you might be like me and wonder, does God really love me? Let me answer the question for you. He does. And, like, you might be like me and say, well, how how would I know? Well, it's because of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you go, well, like, how would I know that God really loves me? Because Jesus came for you. Like, even though it was, like, 2,000 years before you were born, the fact that Jesus came shows that God loves you. Because look why he sent him. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Like, God loves you so much that he sent you his best, his son, Jesus. 
And just the fact that he came reveals God's love for you, that he would send his son who would live for you, who would die for you, and who would rise again for God's glory so that you could have victory in life, so that you could be saved from your sin, so that you could become a new creation, so that God would deposit his Holy Spirit inside of you, so that you could have an eternal inheritance in Christ that not moth or rust or thieves could steal or destroy. God loves you as you are. See, some of us have been told religion for far too long. We think we have to clean ourselves up, and once we've cleaned ourselves up, once we're good, then God could love us. Listen, you can't be that good. You can't work that hard. You don't have that many hours in the day. The gospel is not be good and then God might. The The gospel is that God loves you so that you can be good. The gospel isn't try harder, it's believe in Jesus who saves you from your sin and makes you new, who gives you a new creation that in Christ you are fully loved and that you are fully accepted, that you are a son or daughter of the most high God because Christ lived and died for you and rose again. God loves you. Like you might need to tell yourself that today. God loves me and he does. Number two, God has created you uniquely with a purpose. God has created you uniquely with a purpose. I think one of the greatest downfalls of our time with social media is that we try to be like other people a lot. Like we get on social media and we look at people's profiles because listen, everybody puts the highlight reel on social media. Like nobody puts the picture of like, I just woke up in the morning and look like a wreck and my breath stinks on social media. And what happens is we begin to look at other people's lives like, oh, I just wish I could be like that guy. Or, or maybe along the way, you've had some spiritual heroes, and you should. Like, I have men and I have women that I've looked up to. I have men and women in my life right now that I look up to. And I, I think that's good. I think you should have those people. But it is an absolute waste of your time to try to become somebody that you are not. Like, you should be the best version of yourself, not a knockoff version of someone else. Because God has uniquely created you for a purpose. Like, he's given you gifts, talents, abilities, quirks. He's, he's wired you in such a way. He's given you hearts and passions and desires that I might not have. And God's created me in a way that maybe he didn't create you. And it's all to be unique for his glory. The scripture says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Listen, we believe that when you're saved by Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal on your heart. You also receive spiritual gifts. And that every single one of us probably have different gifts. Now, some of us might have the same, but here's what Paul's saying. He goes, you are uniquely gifted for the common good. That you have been wired such a way because you bring some flavor and some flair. You bring some strengths. You bring some uniqueness. You bring some diversity to the body of Christ. If we were all me, it would be bad. But you have been created the way you are because God knew you and formed you when you were in your mother's womb to be unique for his purpose. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to say, For just as the body is one and has many members... All of the members are of the body, though many are or one body. So it is with Christ. He goes, listen, listen. Like you've never looked at your hand and been like, hand, you are so weird. I don't know if I need you. You know what I'd rather have for a hand? Another foot. That would be awesome. You've never thought that. 
Because, like, eating cereal with a foot would be really weird. And Paul goes, listen, do you know that you're all unique for a purpose? Because when we come together as a body, it, means, it makes us healthy. Paul, in that, in that same chapter, says, like, listen, if everybody was an eye, you'd be a really weird body because you'd just be a giant eyeball. And you'd be dry because you wouldn't even have, like, an eyelid to open and close. You'd just be an eyeball. And he goes, that's weird. Who wants to be that? That we're unique for a reason because when we come together, there's strengths and abilities. In fact, God has created you uniquely with a purpose. And, and here's the thing. Number three, every single one of us have an assignment for our lives. Every single one of us. You have to know this. I was, I was at a conference this week, and a guy from India who has planted uh, almost a million churches in India got up and said, you know what the biggest problem in the church is today? He said, we've created the position of missionary. And what we've said is, oh, you got to be a missionary to do that. The missionaries do that. And he said, if you go back and read your Bible, uh, they never, the Bible never says that. He goes, that's what we created. We created a position to go, oh, missionaries do that. And he made this comment. It, it caught me to the heart. He said, either as believers we are all missionaries or none of us are missionaries. And I was like, ooh, that's tweetable. So I tweeted it. And see, you have an assignment on your life. It's this, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, who are them? His disciples. This is for all the followers of Jesus. This is for anyone who's been saved by Jesus. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. This isn't just for a pastor. This is for all of us. That your life isn't just about you. And my life's not just about me. We exist for the glory of God. And one of the assignments he's put on our lives is that we would go into the places where people are lost and uh, unreached and don't know God who are far from them, and that we would tell them about Jesus. And we don't exist to make converts. We exist to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. Like, I love this because Jesus says, hey, I want you to teach them, and, and I want you to teach them to love me and obey me. Like, like church, we got to get back to loving and obeying Jesus. Because isn't that what Jesus says? If you love me, you will obey me. So if we can just get people to love Jesus more, they'll just obey Jesus more. Like, you probably didn't wake up feeling this way this morning, but this is what the Scripture says about you. It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's you. Now, I'm a pretty simple guy. And so I, I kind of take all this and I, I just make it simple and I, I think this about you and I think this about me, that you were created by Christ. You were saved by Christ. You were gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a world changer. I want you to believe that about yourself. You have been saved and filled and equipped and empowered to change the world. The local church is God's plan A to bring the gospel and the kingdom of God to the world. You are a world changer. And I want you to walk in that assignment. And I want you to walk in that identity. Because I really do believe. 
I really do believe that God has put Redemption Church here in Belvedere for this time to see lives changed by Jesus, to see lost children to return, to see people who are in bondage, to see their chains set free, for them to return home and experience the love and the forgiveness and the power and the renewing of Jesus, and he wants us to do that. But I was thinking about that this week. And as we're going on the Sermon on the Mount, I was just kind of processing all this. And I read the words of Jesus, and I was like, Jesus, you are so good. Because I couldn't plan this. Like, I'm not smart enough to plan it out this way. But as I'm processing all this, I get to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. And I I think it almost serves like a warning to us. Like, hey, this is who you are, and this is what I've called you to. But but this is one of the biggest ways that's going to, this is one of the biggest things that's going to stand in the way of this. This is a roadblock for us. This is a heart issue that we have to consider. Because one of Satan's greatest lies and one of his favorite tricks that he plays in our lives is he tries to convince us that the applause of people is worth living for. That Satan tries to trick us into believing the lie that people's applause is worth living for. See, you and I were created in the image of likeness of God. That's what the scriptures tells us, that we are created in the image and the likeness of God, that there's things inside of us that we desire because it's things that God placed inside of us. So every single one of us were created for community. Every single one of us was created for relationship. Every single one of us was created with a desire to belong and to be loved. And see, what the devil likes to do is flip that and try us to find that approval and that applause and that belonging and that love in the people around us. When in reality, those those desires are only fully satisfied in God. That you will only ever fully be satisfied in relationship, belonging, love, community, You find that satisfaction in your relationship with God. Look what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. I love that because I think Jesus invented the, 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 the line, don't toot your own horn. It says, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now listen to this. Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to address people who are doing good things. Now we're going to spend some time studying Matthew chapter 6, so I invite you to come back because we're going to keep going through this. We're going to go further and deeper into this. But when Jesus says things like practice your acts of righteousness, what we're going to see is he, 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 that's kind of a big umbrella statement. That There's things that go underneath there. So when he says practice your acts of righteousness, he's talking about when you serve people, when you love people with the love of Christ, when you're generous with your finances, when you give when you help the needy, when you pray, when you pursue the heart of God through things like fasting, Bible reading, prayer. Like, this is a message for the church. 
he's talking to people who are doing things that, that God desires for them to do. Like he's preaching to the choir. Because sometimes the choir needs preached to. And he says, listen, I want you to watch out when you're doing these things. Now here's the thing, we've got to pause for a second and go, but wait a minute, these all seem like things that God would want us to do, and they are. All of these things that people are doing are good, they're godly. All of them are things that I think Christ, that Christ tells us to do. In fact, I would go as far to say as all of these things are areas in our lives that we should grow in. See, I just told you that, that every single one of us has an assignment to make disciples. So we ask the question, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who puts high esteem on someone and says, hey, I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to follow you and you have the authority and the final say in my life. So in our relationship with Jesus, we would say, hey, we're his disciples. That when Jesus says, follow me, we say, yeah, we're going to follow you, we're going to learn from you, we're going to do what you say, and we want to continually become more like you. So maybe simply put, discipleship is knowing Jesus and following him step after step after step for the rest of our lives. And so I would say, hey, listen, these are areas that we should all grow in. Because listen, faith is more than believing. Faith is more than thinking, talking, or even having convictions. Faith is action. Faith is movement. Faith is activity. Faith is not something you feel. It's also something that you do. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says it this way. He says, so also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He says, listen, faith isn't like sitting in a room doing the Care Bear stare and just feeling good. Faith is about hearing and doing. Faith is about loving and acting. It's about faith working itself out through our hands and our feet, through our, our, our mind and our actions, the things that we do. Listen, my hope and desire for every single one of us is that we would know and love Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord and our King, and we would grow in our love and our obedience, continually being transformed into his image and his likeness. That's my hope. That's why we're doing what we're doing. But here's the danger. Jesus... Jesus says we can serve people, we can love people, we can be generous with our finances, we can give, we can help the needy, we can pray, we can even pursue the heart of God through spiritual disciplines like fasting. But instead of living for the applause of heaven, we can do these things and what we really desire is the applause of people around us. And Jesus says if you do that, you've completely missed the point. And listen, church, come on. We like it when people like us. We all want to be the star of our own movie. There is something intoxicating about seeing likes and hearts and thumbs up on your Facebook page. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. Because you could be doing good things, but you would be completely missing out on a better thing if you do the good things looking for the approval and the applause of the people around you. Because Jesus says there's something better. 
Jesus says, listen, you can serve and you can love people and you can be generous and give with your finances. You can help the needy. You can pray. You, you can follow and pursue the heart of God through just spiritual disciplines like fasting. But if you do it for the applause of people, you know what you get? The applause of people. Jesus goes, listen, you can do those things. And at the end of the day, you know what you get? A golf clap. You could do that. He goes, you could do all these things, and yet at the end of the day, all you get if you desire the applause of men is the fleeting, temporary, high-five, clap, like on Facebook, applause of men. But Jesus says there's something better. He says there's something greater He says, if you serve people, if you love people, if you're generous and give with your finances, if you help the needy, if you pray, if you you pursue the heart of God with things like spiritual disciplines like fasting, but if you do these things, not for the applause of man, but if you do these things, seeking the applause of heaven, there is something greater, there is something sacred, there is even something a little mysterious. Jesus says, when you do these things for the applause of God, what you receive is a reward from God. And Jesus is going to flesh this out for us over the next several weeks. So I'd invite you to come back because next week, Jesus really defines for us what that reward is, and it's awesome. But here's what I want you to consider today. The reason we have to talk about this is because the place you find approval is also the place you give your allegiance to. The place you find approval is also the place you give allegiance to. Listen, if you are following Jesus, but at the same time, what you're looking for is the applause of the people around you, at some point, you will come in conflict between do I live for Jesus or do I live for the applause of the people around me? Wherever you find the applause is ultimately where you give your allegiance to. This is why when we're young, the people around us are so important because we will usually go with the people closest to us, even if we know it's bad for us. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll just raise my hand. Anybody ever done something completely stupid and it was because of the people you were around? Yeah, that's called high school. Like, we've all done that. And see, when our allegiance is to the applause of people, that's where our allegiance is. Now, at the same time, If the place we find our approval is in Christ, then that's where our allegiance is. We are on dangerous ground when we have given our allegiance to God and yet at the same time seeking approval from the crowd. We're on dangerous ground when we say, Jesus, you have my allegiance, but at the same time I really want to seek the approval of those around me who don't know you And love you. Listen, if we live for the applause of people, it will hinder us in living for Christ. It will hinder us from living on mission. It will stop us from sharing the gospel. It will extinguish our passion to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. And you might go, hey, bro, take it easy. That seems a little harsh. Like, I mean, are you really telling me that if I kind of like that people like me, it might prevent me from following Jesus? Listen, you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to what Paul says. 
I mean, here's, here's Paul, St. Paul, the guy who was blinded by Jesus, knocked off the horse, like trained by Jesus on an island for a few years. I mean, the guy that, that most of the New Testament is written by, like the guy who preaches so long, a guy falls out of the window and dies. He just brings him back to life. And then like the church service keeps going. Like no big deal. Let's keep going. Point four. Like the same Paul that shipwrapped, bitten by snakes. Like this guy gives his life for Christ and he does it in such a way that he is a hero to us. He says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? For if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul goes, hey, I just want you to let you know. Like if I was still looking for the approval of my Pharisee friends, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Like it would prevent me from doing this. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not a man's gospel. Paul goes, listen, listen, my allegiance is to Christ, so you know where I find my applause? In Christ. Paul goes, listen, there's a direct conflict between who I am and the gospel that I preach and people around me. And like Paul says, listen, this is a point of conflict for even him, so you know what he's chose? To, To live a life that pleases God, not men. And Paul tells you and he tells me that we have a choice That we can choose whether we're going to live for the applause of men or for the applause of God. Because here's the reality. You can't seek them both at the same time. You have to decide who you're living for. You have to decide who you're trying to impress. At the end of the day, you have to decide, is it God's applause you're living for or is it man's applause that you're living for? And I just want you to consider that today. In your own life, whose applause are you living for? Are you living to find your satisfaction, to find your joy, to find your identity, to find your applause from people around you? Are you living your life to find your satisfaction, your joy, your security, and your applause from the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross in your place for your sin and rose on the third day so that you might have victory and life everlasting. Whose life? Whose life are you living for? Whose applause are you living for? And listen, church, if the church continues to live for the applause of men, we will completely miss out on what God has for us. And we will completely miss out on experiencing the power. We will completely miss out on the mission. And we will completely miss out on seeing lives changed. So who are we really living for? And whose applause do we really desire? Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.